Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration by not its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. He, and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Tom. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you uh, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you that we, uh, through faith in Jesus and by your grace, have a very firm foundation upon which to stand. God, we bless you for that, especially in challenging times. Uh, pour out your spirit on us, God. Help us uh, receive everything that you have for us. We trust you. We can sense you working uh, even through the reading of the scripture, Lord, by the power of the Spirit. So open our eyes, minds, and hearts to receive what you offer today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're uh, continuing in a sermon series in the book of Romans, of course, as, as you've already heard. And uh, this fall, we're working our way uh, through chapters 5 through 8, and we're on the home stretch. We're in the middle of uh, chapter 8 this week, and we'll wrap up the series next week. And, uh, you know, the flow of the book of Romans is very intentional, as we've been uh, kind of uh, uh, discovering throughout the, the, the flow of this entire series. From chapters 1 to 7, uh, the, the logic of this letter builds to a kind of grand gospel conclusion that comes in chapter 8 here. 
um, primarily in verses 1 and 2, which we hit last week. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. Despite all of our own struggles with our shortcomings and and our wrestling with the power of sin in the present, remember the stuff at the end of chapter 7, we're a mess, we know that. Despite all of that, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, God has credited to us, deposited in our account, a right relationship with him now and forever. And that's the gospel. Nothing can change that as long as we're in Christ. And this is incredible news. I mean, Paul unpacks this. And, and uh, last week we saw that as he unpacked this, uh, the greatness of this gift, he came to the conclusion that we have a new obligation that we need to keep in step with the Spirit, seek the Lord, and, and try to follow the guidance and prompting of, of the Holy Spirit. And right after that, he turns a corner and writes what we, wrote, what we, what we heard today. And it starts with this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It has been a year Hasn't it? I mean, I know, I know we, it's everywhere. But can we simplify it and put it very succinctly? I mean, we are presently living through the worst pandemic in 100 years. The most civil unrest in 50 years. And the greatest political division in living memory. And any one of those by itself would be hard, but when you put all three together and layer on top of that the uncertainty as to how any of those situations will be resolved, and you get some major tension. There's major pressure in here. I know you feel it. I mean, since the pandemic began, rates of depression, anxiety, and stress-related disorders in the United States have tripled. As of the end of June, 40% of U.S. adults, 40% of U.S. adults reported struggling with either a mental health issue or a substance abuse issue or both. 40%. I mean, the emotional strain is real. And And we're followers of Jesus. So we know that the spiritual battle is also real. That's not just a sideline thought. I mean, it's It's brutal out there. I don't know about you, but I certainly have noticed an uptick in the volume of my mental traffic. Those thoughts that shoot through your inner dialogue. That's just going at warp speed these days, isn't it? And I don't know what the side messages are that you hear in your inner dialogue. Mine tend toward condemnation. God, John, you're not good enough. You're not doing it right. You could have done this. You should have done that. Blah, 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 blah. So I come back to these verses often, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, uh, I have one friend, well, actually I have a couple friends who have lost people very dear to them just in the past couple weeks. But, but one friend, um, kind of overwhelmed by all the loss surrounding him, said, it feels like everything is coming undone. Like it's all falling apart. So that just prompted me to kind of wonder, what, what do we as Christians need 
when it feels like everything's coming undone? And when, what do you need when the present suffering feels unbearable and completely overwhelming? Maybe, maybe more specifically, what does our faith need in, in those kinds of times? Because it's kind of hard, right? It, it's hard. Paul's answer is a point of reference so as to regain perspective. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Can you apply your mind to that? Don't just let those words slip by. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our present sufferings are so different than the glory that will be revealed in us that the two cannot be compared. They can only be contrasted. This isn't like thinking about a little apple and a big apple. We're talking apples and oranges. These are completely different things. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the difference between these two in terms of weight. Look at this from, uh, from actually 2 Corinthians 4. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Eternally, you're talking about a little tiny thing and something of such a different magnitude it can't even be compared. I mean, even in the worst of times, we can live with an eternal perspective of what, what sometimes is referred to as a Psalm 46 kind of faith. Do you remember that Psalm? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and, and the mountains quake with their surging. Though it feels like everything is coming undone, we can trust God as an ever-present help in trouble. We can live out our new life in Christ even in full view of all the pain and the suffering, all the brokenness around us because everything is broken. Right? You know that. I know that. It's Paul's next point. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it. What does that mean? I think it's referring to the the curse that came upon the created order at Adam's disobedience. If you're more familiar with the Bible, think back to Genesis chapter 3. Here's what God said. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, one of the results of the fall is that the created order, our lives, there's been frustration introduced into that. Thorns and thistles. It's hard. We sweat and we get our food and, and, and we just get by. Our, our family loves that, uh, uh, the movie uh, uh, Lion King. You know, Lion King. We, we love this. We actually just got it not too long ago and watched it. 
And um, you know that song in there, the circle of life? The circle of life. And everything's great. And the, you know, the animals are flying. And oh, everybody's celebrating. The circle of life is so beautiful. That, that, that circle of life is actually a result of the curse from the fall. This is not good news. This idea that things die and return to the dirt and something new grows, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Right? Paul sums up the results of, of this curse in one word, frustration. In the original language, it's a word that means emptiness, futility, purposelessness. Um, kind of like it, it introduces this idea of something's here for a moment and then gone. One writer observed that the entire book of Ecclesiastes could be a commentary on this one verse in Romans. You remember Ecclesiastes? Everything is meaningless. And there's nothing good under the sun. You do this and you do that and then you die and it's just, what are we doing here? The world is broken. We're broken. If there were a road sign describing the path of the entire world, it would read, everything broken. It's kind of like Paul is saying, yep, the whole thing's a huge mess. There's no sugarcoating that reality. And by the way, that's one thing I love about the Christian faith. We don't try to make pain and suffering go away. We don't try to act as if these things don't exist. We don't blame the person and say, look, if there's bad stuff happening in your life, it must be because you screwed up. In big picture, yeah, we've all screwed up with sin, right? But it's so much more complicated. Somebody else's wrongdoing impacts a whole system in which we live and brings some kind of something bad to us. It's just so complicated. And it's all broken. And suffering is real. Pain and brokenness are real. But, says Paul, there's hope in our waiting and help in our weakness. I mean, hope in our waiting. Hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. No maintenance required in the future. The second law of thermodynamics, undone. You know that thing that says, in, in my language now, I'm summarizing it. Um, if you own a car, you've got to maintain it. If you have a barn, you've got to keep putting new, a new roof on it every, every 20 years or so. Stuff tends to fall apart. It's in bondage to decay. But God has promised a new heaven and a new earth. Right? A renewed creation. Jesus in Revelation said, behold, I am making everything new. God's promised us a time when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. And that's what Paul is getting at in verses 23 and 24. Look at these again. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now this is, you know, waiting for adoption to sonship. We have to think the tenses of salvation again. You remember this. We've talked about this before. The Bible can say we have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. This is pointing to that future tense of salvation, when we shall be saved from the presence of sin. That's what Paul means when he says, 
uh, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. This is the salvation that's going to come in the future. That's why he puts the tag on the redemption of our bodies, right? This is, this is that salvation which is yet to come. And when, when we came to Christ initially, if, if we consider ourselves a follower of Jesus, you know, if we've placed our trust in Christ by God's grace and, and, and through faith in Jesus, then we have been saved. Right? We are in a restored relationship with God, the past tense of salvation. But that past tense of salvation came with a promise that the future tense is just as real as the past tense. And Paul summarizes that with this, for in this hope we were saved. For in this hope of future salvation we, we were saved. You know, even though our, our waiting is marked by pain and suffering, and you know it, it's, it's, it's super hard. There are wars that displace people. Uh, displace people and you have to spend seven years in a refugee camp. There are tragic accidents. You know, people we know, friends, family, get cancer and die. There are crushing losses in life that we experience and wonder if we can endure because it doesn't feel like we can. And we all know there are injustices happening in the world today so horrifically evil that they are unspeakable. Not just kind of bad stuff, really bad stuff. I mean, all of this is real. Even though our waiting is marked by death, mourning, crying, and pain, we have hope because he's really alive. Not kinda. Jesus is really alive right now. And he will make good on his promises. If you're not sure about anything else in the world right now, you can be sure of that. Jesus will make good on his promises. And if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, says the scripture. And, and in addition to this hope in our waiting, God helps us in our weakness. Look at this. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now the groaning happening in this verse is not the Holy Spirit groaning. That's our groaning. You know, that's us because sometimes all we've got left is a wordless groan. If you've experienced some years of life, you, you know this because you've been there. And if you're in Christ, you can be assured that not only is God with you in that moment of groaning, that, that emptiness, you can be assured that not only is God with you in that moment, but that you've got the best prayer partner in the universe. I mean, God the Spirit interceding, praying for you in accordance with God's will, which is making all things new, 
including you and me, and conforming us to look more and more like Jesus. Friends, that is some serious help. That is not a small thing. This is happening right now, really, in the world. God is up to this right now. The Spirit interceding. God praying for people who are in a place of so much pain that they can't pray for themselves. And God is good. The cross of Christ proves that. In Christ, we're, we're free. No condemnation. Suffering in, in this life is real. But not for much longer. And while we're still here, God gives us hope in our waiting and help in our weakness. And all of this leads us as followers of Jesus to a new perspective on suffering. And because of everything that Paul has said in Romans up to this point, this too becomes a conclusion of the gospel. And as a person of faith, we can conclude nothing other than that which the Apostle Paul concluded. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his good purpose. You remember this, the Bible story of Joseph in, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, all these bad things happened to, to Joseph and his understanding, which is our understanding, Joseph looked to his brothers and he said, hey, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Even what other people intend for evil in this world that falls upon us causing great suffering and pain, God is so great, he can use even those things to work out some good. It's not that God purposes the evil. It's just that he can use even those things to bring about good in our lives. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his good purpose. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, we thank you and bless you that you're with us in life because life can be super hard. And we thank you, God, that you have promised not only to be with us, but that by your spirit, you help us. You even, even pray for us when we don't know what to pray. And we thank you that we can have hope in this life, knowing that you're good because of who you've showed yourself to be through Jesus. God, you are good. We, we open our hands to all those things we're hanging on to too tightly and we, we release them to you, Lord. And we choose to trust you. We choose to step forward in faith, relying upon your goodness and grace. And God, if, if any one of us here or participating online are in that place of only being able to utter a wordless groan. God, we, we pray for our brothers and sisters experiencing that and pray that you would make good on your promise to come alongside and to pray and intercede for them according to your will, God. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.